0: Good morning everybody. Is that on? Is it good? Okay. Um, this could totally be six teachings. So you guys get three all in one morning. Woohoo! <laughs> so so the, the name that I have called this one is God With Us. And usually we think about that as like Jesus being with us, um, Emmanuel. But I'm gonna use it with God With Us, the Holy Spirit being in us, and going that route. So let's start with a little bit of trivia when or where was the first time the Spirit was mentioned in the Bible? Genesis Genesis. Genesis 1. Got it. Good. All right. In Paul's 13 epistles, how many times does he reference the Spirit? A lot. That's a good number. (laughs) Really? You said 150? 149. (laughs) 149. That was really good. So if you do the math, that's about, I don't know, David, where do you go? That's 11.4 times per per letter. Uh, So then, when talking about the Holy Spirit, well, first, when I I think about, like, all right, if I'm going to talk on a topic, I can, like, find the word, find out what the original meaning was, how was it used, all this stuff. But I'm going to be talking about God, actually, as opposed to just, like, a topic. And... I would say that the most important thing in our life is how we view God. And that's a daunting task then for me to be like, all right, here, I'm going to tell you about God. I'm going to shape the way that you see him. And that's the most important thing in your entire life is how you see God. So I realize like this is a sobering thing for me to be doing is to be speaking about God with my vast 27 years of wisdom under my belt like, what am I doing up here? <coughs> we we know that we've seen the Holy Spirit through the Bible talked about in numerous different ways. So what are, what are some of the different ways, like metaphors that he's used as, described as this? What are some of those different ways that you guys remember? What? Helper? Helper? That's good. Comforter? Yep. Wisdom? Okay. Teacher? What are some of the metaphors as far as, um, like... Genesis 1. He's hovering. So it's like a bird, like hovering like that. We have water. So it's like he's raining down. Um, He's a river. He's being poured out. He can be drank up from. He can be drawn from like a well. It's wind. um, Breath, a dove, still small voice. There's wine. There's oil. um, There's fire. It's like, whoa. That's all in regard to the Holy Spirit. I get to do all that this morning. Hope you guys are ready. So, I'm not going to do all of that. I'm just trying to give you an understanding that, like, I can't do all of that right now. I'm going to do a part, and I'm going to do a part next week, and I still won't be able to cover all that. Like, this could be years of teaching on just the Holy Spirit. So, what I'm going to talk about today is, of course, the Holy Spirit, His role in creation, in new creation, and how He indwells temples. And I'm sure that's what you guys were all wondering when you woke up this morning was, does God dwell in temples? Yeah, I wonder about that one. So why is this important then to you? Like, why, like what does this even mean? Who cares, right? Does God dwell in temples? Mm, I don't know. Uh, so are you a part of creation that is waiting for the fullness of new creation to happen? Yes. Okay, so what does that look like then in our lives? Do I play a role? How does his role play in my life? What, like, How does all this work together? Do you ever feel like you aren't experiencing the presence of God fully? Okay, so maybe there's something more that we should be looking at in the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible and thought to yourself, man, there is more than what we're currently experiencing. Like, there is so much life. There is so much power. There is so much more of an untamable God that created everything. And, hmm, we don't seem to be living into that. So, like, what is is it that we're missing in all of this? So if those things are all true of who you are, like, this is important. Like, this is why I'm talking. This is what I'm going to be talking about is those things. And just so you know, it's going to feel kind of clinical at times because I'm going to be just, I'm laying a foundation. I'm laying a lot of foundation like a whole bunch of it is introduction and foundational pieces that are being laid. And I've never walked up to a house that's being made and looked at the foundation and been like, man, that looks awesome. Like, it's when it's done, right? It's when the house is done. You got the, the siding on, all of that. It's like the, the foundation is boring looking, not exciting, but it's so important to the next levels. So there's going to be points this morning where you're going to be like, okay, where are you going? What's the point? Like, what am I doing? I don't want, like, why are you sharing this stuff? Just trust me, I'm laying foundation pieces that aren't super exciting, at first, but you'll kind of be like, oh, "Oh, oh, okay, okay," and you'll start to see how all these pieces kind of play together. So bear with me, trust me that I've got a foundation that's being laid, and we're building something here. All right, I'd like to pray, and I'd like you to be praying with me, um, in agreement with what I'm saying, and um, for me that I would be speaking the words that God has for me to speak to you guys this morning. And so that you guys have ears to hear um, what He, His Spirit, is, is putting into me and speaking through me to you guys. All right, so be praying with me, for me, and for yourselves here. Father, I just thank you so much for your Spirit, that you have given your Spirit to bring us. into new life, into creation, into the fact that we can dwell with you every single day, God. And I just ask that that revelation um, would just come and just be more and more and more, and we would just continue to know the deeper things of you, and that your spirit would continue to search the deeper things and just reveal those to us. Just give me the right words to speak. Let me, um yeah, let me be listening to your voice, to your leading in all of this, and give us all ears to hear. Um, in, in the promptings in our hearts, um, in our minds, the things that your Spirit is speaking to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So now I'm going to check my phone to see what time it is, because that was all intro. That doesn't count. So now it's 10.45. <laughs> so Ephesians 2, 18 through 22. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So this was talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. They're all one now. So through the blood of Christ, they've all become one. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord and in him you are you also are being built together into a dwelling place by the spirit so Christ is our cornerstone that's what we build everything off of so sometimes we can be like all right so what are our, what are our pillars what are the things that we want to build off of so prayer is important worship is important and if we start building off of those things we'll get off so everything has to be off the cornerstone which is Christ And then worship comes off of that. Prayer comes off of that. Evangelism comes off of that. So you start with your foundation cornerstone, and that's what you're building from. So Christ is our cornerstone, and we are being joined together, all of us together, as one, growing into a holy temple. So growing like this, like it's, it's a process. It's, we're growing into something like garden imagery, like, like you would see in, in your garden as, as you're cultivating, as you're, as you're um, growing fruit and vegetables for the summer. Um, that's what God's doing in us. Like he's growing things into to you, the fruit of the Spirit coming out. It's his Spirit that the fruit comes out of. And then in verse 22, it says, "...in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." Okay, so the temple. What's this all about? What is Paul like? What's in Paul's mind whenever he's thinking about the temple? So this would have been the temple in Jerusalem, and that's like that's what he would have been going off of because that's the that's the place where God and man meet together is in the temple. And if you go back to uh, 1 Kings 6 and 7, or 2 Chronicles 3 and 4, you get to see a description of how um, the temple was made and all the different things that were in it. And you have gold and precious gems and trees engraved, all different things, palms and pomegranates, um, flowers and fruit, um, and incense going up. And so you have all of these different things that kind of, Take us back to the garden. Like, that's what we see in Genesis 2 is all of this garden imagery, these, this gold, these precious gems between the rivers, and different things like that. So, in Second Chronicles 3 8, <coughs> it's talking about the Holy of Holies. And it says, its length corresponding, the most holy place, its length corresponding to the breadth of the house was 20 cubits, and its breadth was 20 cubits. He overlaid it with 600 talents of fine gold. So this is like, okay, Stephen, why are you talking about that? Just pay attention real quick. It's a cube. That's all you need to know. Just hold on to that. We'll talk about that in a little while. Just know that that's information that we'll use later on. Second Chronicles um, 3.14 talks about the veil that was in front of the Holy of Holies. It says, the veil... Of blue and purple and crimson fabrics of fine linen, and he worked cherubim onto uh, it, so those like just like the cherubim that were um, guarding the 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 garden um, whenever God casts them out, so it 's just like that where the the cherubim are guarding the the presence of God um, just it might sound strange to be seeing that, but, like, if you put all of these different pieces of imagery all together, you begin to see, like, this is all imagery of the Garden of Eden, of where God walked with man, and God's presence was all together in one. So, was God's presence always in the, in the temple? No, it wasn't always there. There was a time before temples, right? So, all right, so when did God's presence come into the temple? So in Solomon, or in Solomon, after Solomon finished praying, um, in Second Chronicles 7, 1 through 3, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So it's, it's this fire coming down, the presence of God filling the temple, And that is when the presence of God first came in to the temple. But it wasn't even that. Like, that wasn't even the first time that that happened. Like, remember, we have all this garden imagery. So let's go back to Genesis 2, and we begin to look, and we're like, oh, okay. So we've got man being made, and we've got streams, and we've got gold, and we've got all these beautiful gems, and all of these beautiful— we've got this garden, so we've got plants growing up, and we've got fruit, and we've got—if we have fruit, we have flowers, and flowers, we have smells, so we have incense, so like— Okay, so this is all coming back together into the temple, all right? So this is all where God's presence dwells. He walked with them in the temple, he walked, or he walked with them in the garden, and he he dwelled with them in the temple. So this is the meeting place of God and man together. All right, you guys still with me? You guys still holding, holding with me on this? Okay. So then God formed man from the dust of the ground, right? And he breathed, into them. So Genesis 2, 7, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So he breathed into them, and they became a living creature. And he placed them in the garden, where all the rivers, the gold, the precious gems, trees, flowers, and fruits were. But the good times can't last forever, right? Right? So they rebelled. They decided that they wanted dependence from God, and in so doing, or yeah, th- in so doing, they've shown that we need God. Like we can't actually function without Him. And and ever since that point, that's what we've needed a sacrifice, right, to be able to come back into the presence of God. Because God doesn't actually leave; He actually casts us out of His presence, and He puts the cherubim in place to keep us from going back, so that we can't eat of the tree of, of life. So then we fast forward through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and you've got Moses bringing the people out of Egypt, and he makes a meeting place for God and man to be together in the tent of meeting. So he goes into the tent into the tent, he meets with God, he comes back out and he's like, "All right, so this is what God said." It's like, "Oh, there's still something missing. Like it's just him. Like I want to go in too. Everybody should be able to meet with God. Everybody's like the presence of God should be for everybody, right?" And that's what Moses actually says. He's, when, when, his, when some of his leaders begin prophesying and, and he's just like, oh, that all God's people would prophesy that, and th- that the spirit of God would be on all people. Like, that's what he wants. Like, he sees the, the, the problem. Like, he's like, oh, this isn't right. Like, it should be that every single person has the breath of God in them and the life coming out of them into the world. So then Joel takes the same thing. In Joel 2, and it says and it shall come to this is Joel 2 28 and 29 and it shall come to pass afterwards that i'll pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall have vis- shall see visions even on the male and female servants in those days i'll pour out my spirit this is one of my uh, Favorite sections because it says, and the old men will dream dreams. So I'm looking forward to one day when I'm like, I just want to spend time with God. I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> Warren, have you ever done that? <laughs> it said the old men dream dreams. I could, you were the only one I could think of that might be old. <laughs> 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 so easy. Uh, so then moving, moving on from, from, from Joel 2, uh, we go to Ezekiel 47, and Ezekiel has a vision of water just flowing from the temple, flowing from the temple. And it, keeps, it gets wider, and it gets deeper, and it gets wider, and it gets deeper, and wider and deeper. And as it's going, life, life. It just keeps, like, there's all these trees, and all this abundance, and so much, like, green, and just life of all kinds that are coming up. There's animals, there's more fish, there's all of this stuff. And this river, it flows into the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is... Dead, full of salt. Nothing can live there. And it says, and this river comes in, and it basically just cleanses it. It just like washes it clean and stuff begins to grow around the Dead Sea, which it's never like it it can't do because it's dead. And so like this river in Ezekiel's vision is just flowing through, flowing from the temple, from the presence of God, out into the world, into the dead things that we seem to think it's impossible. This is an impossible situation. It's dead. I can't work into this. Like, it'll never happen. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, this is the Dead Sea. This is the Spirit of God coming, flowing out of the temple, out of us, into these dead places in the world. And it's the river that's bringing life into all of these things. And in Ezekiel forty-seven twelve, it says, and on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. So fruit for every season, uh, because because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. So just summarized the Old Testament right there. There you go. You're welcome. Uh, so that's just, the, that's just the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, um, and what that, like, that's the thread of the Holy Spirit and God's presence in the temple running through the Old Testament. So, move on to the New Testament. Now, we're going to summarize that one. So, we begin in Matthew, and we have a virgin birth, right? And an angel comes and says, all right, you're going to give birth to a son. And she's like, well, how can this be? I've never slept with a man. This is impossible." And he says um, that it's going to be from the Holy Spirit. So Matthew one eighteen and then Luke one thirty five says the Holy Spirit will come up upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So it's like overshadowing something that is that is barren, something that nothing can grow in, something that nothing ha- there is no life capability without other parts involved. Something that's overshadowing over something dark with no life, as in like the creation where the spirit is hovering over the dark, the deep, where there's no life. Nothing can happen until he begins to start creating there. And then we have John 1, 1 through 3. So if we miss that creation analogy from, from that point, we can't miss it here. And it says, John 1, 1 through 3, In the beginning, in the beginning, When have we heard that before? In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. So if we missed the creation analogy that the the gospel writers are using in Matthew and Luke when they're talking about the spirit overshadowing and, and, and life coming from a place that life can't come from, if we've missed all this creation analogy going on, then don't miss it in John 1 because it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. All things were made through him. So creation, and with him was not anything made that was made. So Mary's pregnant, overshadowed by the Spirit, bringing life out of something dark and barren. In the beginning, nothing was made that was that has been made. So all of this creation imagery, recreation. So it's like it's like these gospel writers are like, okay, so this I'm gonna I'm gonna pull some I'm gonna pull some creation analogies going on, but it's it's like they're going further, um, alluding to a new beginning or something fresh, something as if there's something like fresh afoot, um, as if there's a restoring power at work within all of these different things making things new john 1 says and the word became flesh and dwelt among them so the word we know is jesus and he became flesh so as a human and he dwelt among us so the the, the word dwelt is like he, he uh he, he made his home here he he, he tented he, he tabernacled with us tabernacle temple he, like his dwelling place was here he is that temple. He is, the, he is now the meeting place. No, it's, it's no longer the temple. It's he's the meeting place of God and man together. So we're not, we're not going to the temple to go meet with God. He, he's the place that we go to to meet with God. So then my question then becomes, like, wait a minute, what, what is... If he's the temple, then uh, what's he think about the temple? Like, does he have any thoughts on, on the temple? And... In, in, and we'll get to that in just a second. And in, in, in Jesus' life, we get to see his baptism and, and the, the Spirit coming down on him um, like a dove. Um, his, his whole ministry is embodied by being led by the Spirit. He is empowered by the Spirit. He speaks by the Spirit. Um, he's full of the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. So in all of this, he's led by the Spirit. And I want to know, what is this man who is now the temple, think of the actual temple. So in John 2, 13 through 23, Jesus cleanses the temple. So he goes in, and he makes a whip, and he casts the people on. He goes, you've made it a marketplace. Like, this is a den of thieves and robbers. Like, what have you done? This is where God and man meet together, and this is all about you now. This is where God and man meets, and you've made it just about you. And you're cheating, and you're scandalous, and you're just manipulating people. So the leaders come to him, and they're like, show us a sign. What, like, what authority do you have to be able to say anything like this? Like, really? Like, who's this Joe Schmo coming off the street telling me that I can't do Like, that this is what's going on? And Jesus like, you tear down this temple, I'll build it in three days. And they're like, whoa, I don't know if you noticed. It took 46 years to build this thing. You weren't even alive when it started. Well, actually, he was. Um, So, so John in, in the writing winks at us a little bit and he's like, hey, just so you know, when Jesus says the three days, he's actually talking about his own body. Like he is the temple. Again, he's the meeting place with God and man. So, we now have Jesus, the meeting place of God and man. The way that we're going to get the spirit is through him. So we fast forward to his death. There's a lot of stuff in there. Sorry, just trying to do a summary of a lot of these things, building these foundational pieces all together. <coughs> so we fast forward to his death. And I'm actually going to read a little section from Hebrews because I just think it does a really nice job of tying some of these pieces together. So Hebrews 9, 11 through 12 says, But when Christ appeared... as as a high priest of the good things that have come. So he's not only the high priest, like he's the high priest, the one that makes the sacrifice, but he himself actually is that sacrifice. So he's both things, which is just kind of mind-boggling in and of itself. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So he is secure, like it was his blood that now brings us back into the presence of God and he has secured, he has grasped it and he has pulled it, it is ours. He has has gathered our redemption for us and he's given it to us. We have now been redeemed. We are welcomed back into the presence of God. We are brought into this new life through him. So Jesus is on the cross. This is all happening. He's, he's, the, he's the sacrificial lamb. This is what's going on. And Jesus cries out, and this is Matthew 27, 50 through 51. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain, remember that curtain? The one with all the colors, the cherubim, the guarding the presence of God. The, that curtain was torn into from top to bottom, opening the presence of God back into all of creation. So no longer guarding, no longer keeping the presence of God hidden, but the presence of God into all of creation. So this is a physical reality of a spiritual truth that was in the process of happening. It was being fulfilled in that moment. Then just as he said, he would be raised up. He would raise up that temple in three days, and he rose again from the dead. The resurrection is connected to the Spirit. It says, it's the Spirit of Christ that raised Christ from the dead, um, and that Spirit is in you and me. So that that very same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now in us. So we have this resurrection power. We have this new life and this life-giving power through and running into our lives and out of us. In Romans 1, 4, it says, Jesus as God's Son was declared to be the Son with, the power when he, with power when he rose from the dead by the Spirit of holiness. So it was the Spirit of holiness that, that raised him from the dead, declaring this is God's Son. This is who this is that did all of these things. And Paul uses this creative power of the Spirit to, to describe what recreated Jesus' body to allow him to walk out of the tomb. And so we get to see that this is... This is Jesus is the only one who's who's ever gotten to to live into the fullness of the, the of the physical new creation, but he allows us to walk into the spiritual new creation. That the things in our lives can become alive, that the things that we have been longing to see of the life of the spirit in us can come alive and come flourishing out of us on a daily and every moment basis. So the resurrection, Jesus is raised from the dead. Um, John 20 verse 1, it says, on the first day of the week, so on the first day, hmm heard that, on the first day, so the beginning of creation, the very first day of creation, day one, it was good, and this is the beginning of a new creation, day one, day one, on the first day of the week. John 20, 11 through 18, I'm not going to read all of it, but Mary mistakes Jesus for the gardener. What a perfect mistake to make, right? You couldn't have made a better mistake. Like that was the mistake to make is to think, oh, it's the gardener. That's what we were called to be. He was the only man that's ever been what humans were designed to be. There's never been another man that's actually lived what we as humans were called to do. Like he lived into the fullness of humanity. The only man that's ever done that. He allows us to walk into that, into a spiritual reality that we can actually live into. What is it that it means to be a human? What is it that it means to actually have true life in my body, to live out and actually be a real human that lives and breathes and actually like changes things around me because I have so much of the Spirit of God in me that it's more than just me. It's the Spirit of God flowing out and doing things and cultivating and subduing and having rule over, just like it says in Genesis 1.26. So it was the perfect mistake for her to make to think that he was the, garden, the gardener. Strange things are... so so she made a mistake, right? She she thought he was the gardener. Other people, though, seem to see him and, like, they don't really, like, they knew him. I mean, they spent years with him and they don't recognize him. So it's like something's different. So, like, something fundamentally is a little bit different, but then it's like, oh, yeah, it is Jesus. Like, so there's something different about this new creation uh, where he can actually, like, just show up places. He can walk through walls. The craziest one to me is he eats a fish, he walks through a wall, and the fish goes with him. Like, that fish should have, like, fell out. And the fish, like, I don't know. That's just the way I think it. I don't know. That was, it's just like, how did that happen? How did the fish go with him? That, I don't know. So this is the dawn of new creation. He is the first fruits. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes that this is the exact existence that his followers are allowed to be into. That it's a Spirit-empowered existence. It's not just like me running my own life. It's walking by the Spirit. It's living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit at all times. Having the fruit of the Spirit living out through my life into the people around me. But then Jesus, in all of this, He's not done, like it's, it's, the, it's the, the cross and the resurrection, we've spent a lot of time focusing on that, and yes we should. But Jesus, when he's done with the cross and the resurrection, he's like, all right, I got things to do. I got to prepare you guys. There's something bigger. There's something better. Like, I've brought you back in. Like, you now are my sons and daughters, yes. But I've got to get life back into you guys. I have to, like, restore things. So, like, the pinnacle of the, of the gospels isn't the cross. It's the sending of the, of the Holy Spirit to bring life back into us. Like, yes, I've, I've brought you. I, I have forgiven you. I've brought you back as sons and daughters. And no, we should not, we should not take anything away from that. But... He's, he doesn't even see it as the last thing that he's there to do. He's like, all right, cool, got that done. Now, preparing you for the spirit. You, like, to be fully human, you not only need to just be my son and daughter, you need to have the spirit of God living in you, living out of you, being led by the spirit and walking by the spirit in every way possible. So then in John 20, 22, it says, and when he has said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. Genesis 2, 7. God breathed on them and breathed life into them. And he breathes on them here. And he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you life. This is the first time we get to have life. Like, we've been living, right? But no, it's, we're missing something if we're not with the Holy Like, if the Spirit isn't in us, We're missing something. Like that is where the life is. He breathes into us and says, receive the Holy Spirit, and this is the life from the very beginning. So Acts 1, 8 through 9 says, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I'm not going to read all of it, um, but this is is Jesus before he ascends. He's like, hey, you know what? Um, It's great that I'm here and all. It's great that the presence of God, I am the presence of God to you guys, but um, I don't know if you noticed, but I can only be in one place at a time and I need to be everywhere. So I'm going to leave, and it's going to be better for you guys because my spirit's going to come, and he's going to fill the whole earth. Your sons, like, it, it, the spirit's going to come over all flesh, just like it says in Joel. So then moving on to Acts 2, just a little bit farther from that, it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So like, whoa, whoa. Tongues of fire from heaven. That sounds very reminiscent of when Solomon got done praying. The temple was filled and fire came down from heaven. Right? So this is like the imagery of temples. Like, whoo! Like, we're the temple now. Like, he, that's the imagery. It is like, this is the same thing that happened in Chronicles when, when, they get, when Solomon gets done praying and the, and, the, and the presence of God comes down in fire and fills the temple. And whoo! The presence of God is there. That's where he is. So, the, so in Acts, we have the presence of God falling down. It doesn't fall down. It comes down. And leaving, f- flaming uh, tongues of fire on, on the heads, showing, all right, this is my temple. This is where I, my presence is dwelling. He is now in us, leading and guiding us. So we see all of the imagery from 2 Chronicles 7 and how this all plays out. And then, and then Peter in um, Acts 2.17, is like, this is what we were talking about. This is what Joel was saying from, from back in Joel 2. when he's like, and there's going to come a day uh, when my p- spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. So like this is the fulfillment of that. So the, the spirit of God is here. The spirit of God is now with us, dwelling with us in all of that. And then we keep reading with, with what Paul says. And he says, so he takes this imagery and he keeps going with it. So in, in the Ephesians 1 that we just read at the very beginning, it says when we're growing together, we're, we are growing. So it's a process. We're growing into something, into the temple of the Lord. Then in 1 Corinthians 3, you all, you, y'all, the that, that Texas, y'all, all y'all, you guys are all, the church as a whole is growing together into The temple, God's temple, and his spirit is in you. All of you, together, together, together. Not just us here, but like, hmm, maybe all of the denominations from across the entire globe. All of us as one body, being together as God's holy temple. 1 Corinthians 6, he says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Then Peter continues this metaphor in 1 Peter 2, 5. He says, you yourselves are living stones being built as a spiritual house. So we individually, all together, are living stones being built together as living stones to be a spiritual house for God. All right, so we're getting close to finishing up the whole New Testament here. So we're going to jump forward to Revelation 21, 9 through 27. I'm not going to read all of those verses, um, but I'm going to read a few in the very beginning ones and a couple others. So Revelation 21, 9 and 10 says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls from the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So who is he going to show? Church. He's going to show the bride, the wife of the lamb, which is the church, right? That's what the angel says he's going to show. Verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So what was he going to show him? The bride, the wife of the lamb, and he shows him what? The heavenly city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God. So then we go on. We just keep reading in, in Revelation 21, 9 through 27, and we see all of this different imagery. So one of the first things that we see is the dimensions are a cube, right? It says the breadth and the length and the width, they're all the same. So it's a cube. What was the cube in the, in the, in the temple? it was the holy of holies it was where god's presence dwelt and he says that's the like these are the dimensions of the city this is the this, this is where the presence of god is dwelling and he said what was i showing him i'm showing you the bride the wife of the lamb so we together are being built together into the presence of where god dwells And what's all the imagery that we see? We see stones and we see gold. And we keep going then in in Revelation 22 when it says, and the angel showed me a river of water of life. Hmm, more garden imagery. So back to the garden. And then in uh, verse two, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding yielding its fruit in each month. That sounds reminiscent of Ezekiel. The leaves of the trees were for the healing. Mm, Sounds like Ezekiel also, but it also sounds like garden imagery. So we have the bride, we have the temple, we have the heavenly city, Jerusalem, and we have the garden, all coming into the culmination of this is the presence of God. This is the church. This is what we're called to. This is what we're becoming. We're growing into something so magnificent that we don't even know what we're called to be and who we're becoming. Oh that we would know the grandness of God what he's, like what he is doing. This is when Abraham's just like, "You know, I'm looking for a city that has foundations whose designer and builder are God. Oh, ah, uh, I think I found it in Revelation. That sounds like that, doesn't it? He's building his church. This is. What we as the church are called to become—that this is our this is our future. This is a prophetic look into, like so, like we're not just like menial, just like uh, peons who are just like going around our day doing things. This is this is the life of the church together, being built together as one whole, as living stones on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And just as we see in Ezekiel's vision, where we see the river flowing out from the temple, where we see the presence of God, the river of life flowing out into the world and restoring everything, even the things that are dead where nothing can grow because there's so much salt, nothing can grow. That spirit is bringing life into the most dead places that we can't grow anything. And that is when Jesus is like, don't forget rivers of living water will flow from your heart into the world. And he's talking about the Spirit, the Spirit of God flowing out of us. So it's wherever we go, we are carriers of the presence of God. We are the temple of God. We together are the temple of God, and we carry the presence out into the world. We are making a difference. We're bringing life. We're bringing change. We're bringing new creation. We're bringing new life into everything that we're doing every single day. Do we know that? Do we do we realize what we're called to be doing? That this is fundamentally what the church is? This like this is our life. Like this isn't like this, that's not supposed to be condemnation. Like this is hope. Like this is what we can live into. Something greater than what we've been living into. This is wow. I need to be spending time with, in the presence of God and going, what in the world? I don't even know you. I don't even know what I've been missing. Like, what have you called me to do when I'm not doing? What is it that I, like, where am I supposed to be bringing life? Because apparently I've been missing it. Like, there seems to be so much death in my life. There seems to be so much, like, destruction. And I walk to places and I'm like, oh, well, I guess, you know, what am I going to do? No, rivers of living water. It's just like in Ezekiel when it's like, that river, it's not like, It's not doing anything that it can't. It's just naturally doing. It's bringing life wherever it goes. And that's what we're supposed to be doing, bringing life wherever we go. All right. Summarize the whole Bible there. Done with that. So what does this then mean for us? Like, okay, temples, fantastic. Presence of God, fantastic. What am I supposed to do? So Paul, when he writes in 1 Corinthians 3, he has these people and they're arguing. I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. And he's like, What are you doing? Why? Don't you know that all together, all together, all of you guys are all being together, being built into the presence of God, into the temple of God? Why are you arguing? It's a good thing that we don't do that. I mean, that'd be silly if we were like if we were like, you know, I follow, you know, John Wesley, or I follow Calvin, or I follow Charles Spurgeon, or David Platt today, or Um, oh, that'd be weird if we did something like that, or if I was like, oh, I'm only a Lutheran, or I'm only a Baptist, or I'm only a Presbyterian. That'd be crazy, right? I mean, it's a good thing we don't do stuff like that. But Paul would be like, no, you guys are all one temple. You guys are all the body of Christ, all together, 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 one body across the entire globe. There is nothing that separates us. Then, in 1 Corinthians 6:19 through20, he's talking about sexual sins, and he's like, "Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So that's his reason for not sinning, because you are a temple, right? And the presence of God is holy. So we are to be holy. Be holy as I am holy be imitators of God. This is what we're to be like. The temple wasn't holy because it was the temple. The temple was holy because the presence of God was there, right? So the presence of God is in me, right? So I'm to be holy. I'm to be living holy out into everything that I'm doing I walk by the Spirit, and if I walk by the Spirit, I will not give in to the lusts of the flesh. So if if that's the way I'm walking, that's the way I'm living. I'm no longer like condemned. I'm no longer like living into sin. John uh, in First John writes, "I write these things so that you don't sin." Right? I write these things so that you don't sin. So that's 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 a possibility. Hmm, That's interesting. But he's like, "What if you do? If you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous." So it's like, if you do, so be it. That's fine. It's okay. Like, we have an advocate with the Father. But I'm writing these things so that you don't, because you are a temple of the living God, you are to be living righteous and upright and holy into everything that you do in all of your life. This is the reason. Why? Is because I am a temple and I'm supposed to be the dwelling place of God. And God and man can't dwell together. Like obviously we got kicked out of the out of the garden. Like we can't dwell together with sin. It's like having a roommate. And it's like, all right, now we have shared space. It's like man and God are shared space together in one temple. And so if I have a roommate and I'm doing stuff at, like when I was at college, I had, had roommates. And so like there was friction at times because I would do things or they would do things. And it's like, well, oh, we've never lived together before. This is tricky. Um, and trying to figure out some of those pieces. But it's like, oh, no, 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 no. I died. There's not a roommate anymore. It's only him, right? Like the, my flesh died. Is Jesus living through me. Is the spirit living out of me. So it's not like, all right, um, hopefully we work out as roommates. No, it's like, I'm gone. It's the spirit of Christ living in me. It's Jesus living in me. It's not roommates. It's just him dwelling in this body. So in Galatians 5, 1 through 6, it says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. No, don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't submit again to a yoke of of slavery. Don't you know that you've been redeemed? Don't you know that you've been brought out of bondage? It's like in Ephesians when he's talking about... he's redeeming them. And it's like he's bought them out. He's, he's, he's paid for them. And if, we, if, if you had, if you had a, somebody that you went and you paid to have them bought out of slavery, and they were like, uh, no, I like slavery. That's better. Like, how ridiculous. But that's what we do all the time. Like, we would rather live in our sin and our slavery than actually live into the power and the presence of God, the freedom that he's given us. So Paul's like, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Don't again, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. And in Galatians 5, 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. All right, the second point that I want to make, that was all introduction. (laughs) No, this is my last page. Um, so, So the second point I want to make is the Spirit of God is in us. With us, leading and guiding us, we are carriers of His presence. We have confidence to go into the presence of God at any time because I am where the presence of God dwells. In the Holy of Holies, the veil has been torn and the presence of God can come into all of the earth. So in Hebrews 10 19 through 23, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, we have confidence to enter the holy places, the holy places of, of, of uh, so the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So that's why, because of the blood of Jesus, we actually get to enter into the holy places, the, pl- the place where God's presence, dwe- presence dwelled. That is where we actually get to go into. And we have confidence, whereas like there was never confidence before. It's like, will they make it out alive? I don't know, hopefully. We'll tie a rope just in case, <laughs> pull them out. By the new and... Uh, okay, let me start over. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast, To the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast to the reality that we can be in the presence of God, that we are the carriers of, of God's presence, that it's not just that we go into the tent of meeting, we are that tent. We're not just going into the temple, we are the temple. We're not just walking with him in the garden, we are the garden that he's walking in and through, and he's producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And that is how we live, and that is how we live into the world. And he is growing us and building us into his dwelling place so that we can bring his presence to the world and bring his life and spirit and recreation power into the entire world. That is what we're called to be. And that is what we have available to us. But we have to realize it and we have to walk into the reality of that truth. So worship team, you guys can come up. So we're going to actually do a song um, here by uh, Keith and Kristen Getty. And um, it's, a, it's a song called Holy Spirit. And it's a prayer of just like that this would be us, that these things would be true. So it's breathe new life into my soul. Presence of the risen Lord, renew my heart. Cause your word to come alive in me. Give me faith for what I cannot see passion for his purity. And there's so many more things. I'm not going to read all of the, all of the lyrics, but that's, like, this is our prayer right now. So, like, let this be our prayer for the Holy Spirit to come and just reshape and renew and be the rivers of living water that flow out into the entire world, reshaping and renewing and bringing new creation into everything that we encounter in this world, even the dead places like the Dead Sea. Let that be true of us, that we have so much life, so much power in us, that that the world is beginning to be changed and we're beginning to see inklings of the dawn of that new creation taking place in this world right now.